Hi everyone, welcome to Stage Directions. I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger. And I'm so excited to be talking to the incredible Catherine Morgan. Catherine is a legend in the classical dance world, but for those who may not know her, and I'm especially excited to introduce her to members of the Broadway community who may not be familiar with her work or her platform. Catherine studied at the School of American Ballet and then joined New York City Ballet where she had an extraordinary rise through the company. She danced roles like Juliet, Aurora, and the Sugar Plum Fairy all but right out of the gate and was promoted to soloist just three years after starting as an apprentice. She's appeared on the Today Show, won the Ween Award, the Movado Future Legends Award, and the Janice Levin Award, and has gone on to dance as a soloist at Miami City Ballet and guest with many companies across the country. But perhaps what has most set Catherine apart is her online platform that was well ahead of its time when she started it. After developing a medical condition that threatened to derail her career, Catherine was one of, if not the first person in the dance industry to start an online channel that offered free classes, tutorials, tips and tricks, and a behind the scenes look at the world of being a professional dancer. Not only is she an extraordinary teacher, but she is a member, mentor, and true inspiration to an enormous, diverse online community. And she's working to change the conversation about mental health, sizeism, and training within the artistic community at large. I'm especially excited to delve into the dance world today with Catherine. I started dancing when I was two, and I'm still a serious dancer. And it's always frustrated me that for all our talk about the integrated musical or the importance of movement in straight plays, acting, singing, and dancing seem to be on separate sides of the conversation in the Broadway community. So welcome, Catherine, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Ashley. And thank you for that introduction. I should pay you for that bio. <laughs> <laughs> no, was there anything um, of a special import that I left out that you'd like to add? No, it's perfect. Awesome. Um, so my goal today is as much as possible to avoid asking you anything that you've been asked in any previous interviews. Um, and I would strongly encourage our listeners to check out all of those wonderful interviews and your YouTube channel, because there's a lot of really important things that you discuss. And I think that everyone should be aware of. Um, so the first thing I'd love to start by asking you is, can you share a bit about your story of starting your online platform? And I know it started long before COVID and became, became something of a paradigm, but you were kind of the first one to do it. And um, how did that come about? It's funny because I had just left New York City Ballet and I was very, very ill with my autoimmune condition at the time. I don't even know if we had diagnosed it yet. I think it was still the in the holding pattern of what's I didn't know what was wrong and I was really, really tired and really not doing well and just sort of depressed. And when you're at home and sitting on the couch and feeling sorry for yourself, what you do is you sit and you watch YouTube videos. At least that's what I did. And I'm sitting there watching makeup guru after makeup guru. And it suddenly like clicked in my head. There are no ballet dancers where, you know, for all the yoga classes and the fitness and the makeup and the, you know, lifestyle people, there were no ballet dancers, maybe the occasional 12 year old who started a channel, but nothing like from a professional. And then I thought, well, I got nothing better to do because at that point I was still trying to maybe get back in the city ballet. I didn't know what was happening. I had saved a bunch of money, so I didn't feel the need to like have to go immediately get a job. So I was really fortunate in that. But I just started, I was like, well, let's get a camera. Let's, you know, see what happens. And I started with videos here because at the time I was very ashamed of what I looked like. And I was, I just was not happy with my body. So I started with this and then it gradually turned into ballet classes and it gradually turned into tips and things. And, and now that's, that was 2014. So it's been seven years now and it's just exploded and it's become a whole platform for me to talk about things and address issues and I'm still doing the classes but now I'm also back dancing and so it's a, it's been a way for me to showcase my own dancing without worrying about where am I going to get get a gig and how and there's a theater I just if I feel the need to dance something I have a really special video coming out on December 10th by the way but stay tuned um just it's a it's a platform for me to talk and teach and dance and it's just become this wonderful community of people I have wonderful viewers I very rarely knock on wood get a bad comment it's just a really happy positive place which is what I want it to be and I think it's because I'm trying to be stay true to myself and to not try and be somebody else or not try and be the perfect ballerina I kind of get real on there too mm -hmm. 
um, about like, this is what's happening. This is the ballet world, you know? And I think people really appreciate that because ballet can tend to be very, oh, everything's perfect. And we have to <laughs> like, you know, and it's, it's so not what it is. And I think that doesn't work in this day and age anymore. So, yeah. And I know you've said that when you first started, a lot of people thought it was a little crazy or whatnot, hmm. you starting a YouTube channel and um, why do you think they thought that, um, how did you respond and how has the general feeling about this in the dance world changed? And why do you think that's happened? My mother was one of them. Oh, she no. said, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, no. like, you two, you're going to film yourself. That sounds really dumb. And recently through COVID, she finally turned to me and she was like, I get it now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, I get it. Yeah. And I think people, especially a lot of my colleagues, a lot of ballet people, again, it, there's this, this vision of smoke and mirrors of everything has to be perfect and seamless. And we're these ethereal beings. And I was pulling back the cobwebs and pulling back the drapes on that. And I think people were slightly scared. They were like, I don't know if this is a good idea. She's going to ruin the ballet world. Yeah. Um, we're not supposed to give hints and tr tips and tricks because I remember being 11 and no one taught me how to sew or tie my point shoes. It was sort of just like, figure oh, it out. And so everybody was slightly worried seven years later. Mm -hmm. Now everybody's like, oh, I love what you're doing. It's so good. <laughs> I think it yeah. took them a while to like catch up to it. But it's just such an, I, as ballet companies, especially now, most of them have their own YouTube channel because they realize it's a way to get what they're doing to the masses. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can afford a ballet ticket. Not everybody can fly to New York and see New York City Ballet. So it's a way to bring it to everybody mm -hmm. um, across the world, really. Yeah. How has your channel changed the most over the years? Um, and where do you think it found its niche and what's made the most impact from it? Because what I love is you almost have two branches of what you do. You have like the actual practical classes and things, which I do all the time. I use them for warmups before shows. They're amazing. And then you have also the stories. And like you said, you know, pulling the curtain away a little bit and getting real and things. So where do you think the niche for you sort of has been and, um, where that is now? The surprising thing for me is I thought when I first started it, I thought it was going to be my biggest audience was going to be 13 to 21 year olds. Mm -hmm. I'd say over half of my audience are adults mm -hmm. and I love it. I, I just, I love that there's this whole group of people who just, they're not trying to be professionals, but they just want to get better and they want to improve and this and that. Mm -hmm. I really think it's, it's completely split. I don't think I fit one particular road or the other. I have so many non-dancers mm -hmm. who watch my videos. Oh, I just wanted to hear your advice on this. Or, oh, I love ballet. I'm not a dancer, but I find it so fascinating. Or I have some people who aren't dancers who literally sit and watch the class videos mm -hmm. just because they want to see like, this is what a dancer does in their day. So it's really interesting. And then I also cater to a lot of pre-professionals or, or professionals. I've had a lot of Broadway people tell me that. Mm -hmm. particularly the cast of American in Paris. Oh um, yeah. And Cope was like, I do your bar every day. I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's sort of a split thing for me. And I like going down both. I don't want to forget either audience because I'd say half and half are dancers and half are not. Mm -hmm. So I can't just have it be classes because then you alienate. Yeah. I've tried to like, again, be more inclusive and, and bring other people into this world. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the videos of me dancing is really for anybody because it's, it's no talking. So it's just, it's this sort of like, I kind of have several paths on there. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to me. And I think it's opened up this wonderful world where something that I experienced. So I, from a very young age was doing singing, acting, dancing, and I was training classically, although I always knew I didn't want to be a classical dancer, um, so for me, it was always very integrated. And I remember when I got to um, college and when I got into the um, you know professional world of Broadway, there were a lot of musical theater performers. I'd be like, hey, do you want to go take a class, a dance class with me? And they'd be like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. And I'd be like, well, why? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really scared of it. I can't do it. And I'm like, well, would you rather like be embarrassed in class or be embarrassed when you inevitably have to do a dance audition? And they're like, we just don't want to like deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that one thing I'm so excited for people to use your channel for is that it could be a great way if dance is something that's important to what they're doing or interested in, but it's sort of a gateway to exploring it and not um, 
feeling like you're on display in front of a, a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I guess, what, what would you say to any musical theater people out there who might be scared of dance or they don't necessarily think it's their thing or movement hasn't really been a part of their vocabulary um, as somebody for whom it is the primary way that you express yourself? I mean, I'd say all are welcome. I mean, I, I do various levels of videos. I do like, I'll have beginner classes on there and intermediate. So you can start there and build up again with no judgment. I say that all the time in my videos, even okay. not just necessarily that no judgment because there's no one there, but don't judge yourself. I do it intentionally and people it's, I sort of just integrate it in there. Like, all right, no judgment. You push play. That's the first step. Yeah. Like you, you showed up. And so I, I think anybody's welcome. And if, if you want to use my videos, I've had some people use my videos for like a whole year before they feel like they can go and take a ballet class. Because again, the ballet world is geared that way. Mm -hmm. It's very elitist. And so that's sort of the goal. I want you to feel like you could gear up to go in person because as, as many classes as I do, there is nothing like in-person training. Yeah. You know, that's the most important thing that is really important. But that's the whole point of my videos is you can do it without anybody judging you or watching you or, or and, and ballet is big time mental. So mm -hmm. dance in general. So if you can break that barrier with my videos, then you feel comfortable to go to class. So yeah, anybody's welcome. Why do you think that that fear exists in a way around dance that it doesn't seem to in quite the same way with other things? Like I don't hear people specifically being like, oh, I'm absolutely petrified to take an acting class. Although I'm sure people are in the same way that I hear like, oh, I just, I couldn't step into a dance studio. I think there's that sort of bar of perfectionism, mm -hmm. especially with ballet. We're trying to be perfect and we have the line and the feet and da, da, da. And with acting, I, I feel like when I hear people say, oh, I took an acting class and we explored and this and that, I'm like, that's not ballet, ballet. <laughs> yeah. So, like you're either pointing your feet or you're not. So right. I think there's that like very, very defined parameters in ballet. Mm -hmm. Like we all know what it should look like, whether or not it does is a whole other story. Right. But I think that's part of it, especially with dance is, you know, when you're watching it, what it should look like. And so with acting, it seems to me, again, I don't know a lot about it, but it, there's many different avenues you can take. Mm -hmm. It's like how it's not the, the acting, but the reacting. Right. You know, but with ballet, it's just, you know, you fell over on the turn, you know, you know so there's this, like, I have to be perfect in yeah. dance. And so I think that's why it scares people. Yeah. I also, one of the things that I think is so great about your platform is you also do offer private virtual classes. And mm -hmm. one of the things I always found so interesting with my training is that dance is kind of the only one of the triune of, you know, musical theatery things where unless you have a lot of extra money to get private training, all of your training is in a group setting. Mm -hmm. When you're a singer, unless you're in a choir, all of your training is one-on-one. -on -one. And when you're an actor, it's pulling people out to work one-on-one -on -one with them. But with dance, it's always in a group setting. So there can often be frustrations about, well, am I making improvement? Am I doing this right? I don't know. Cause there's a lot of general comments. And so I, I also love that you do offer virtual private classes as well to work one-on-one -on -one in a safe space. I do, especially for adults, I, again, I have more private adult students and sometimes they just want to get on there and talk. Sometimes they just want to get on there and work on specific steps. Um, another popular thing that has gone down with my private lessons because they're virtual is a student will rent a studio if they're preparing for mm -hmm. a ballet competition or something. It's more of the young ones. But with adults, I think what I'm seeing, especially when they go and take class, mm -hmm. not a lot of ballet teachers take them seriously. Yeah. And so they feel like either adults are treated like, why don't you know this? Or they're treated like, oh, they're just here for fun. And I had an adult student say to me once, and I will never forget this as long as I live. She was like, can I explain something to you? I said, yeah. She's like, you play the piano, right? Meaning me. And I do. And I said, yeah, I love it. And she said, do you want to get better? I said, well, yeah. She said, do you want to be able to play different pieces? Do you want to like be as proficient as you can possibly be? I said, yeah. She said, do you, do you want to become a concert pianist? I said, no. She said, that's <laughs> me, me. That's me with ballet. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, mm -hmm. they want to get better. They want to improve. They want to be taken seriously. They don't want to do it professionally. 
I feel like ballet is the one thing where you are literally tossed aside if you don't want to be a professional or can't be a professional, whatever. And it's like, oh, well, she doesn't want to, you know, and there doesn't need to be that defined line. And so with the private lessons, I'm happy to take anybody. I love teaching adults who just simply want to get better. They just, they just want to improve that pirouette or they just want to, you know, learn basic alignment because they were never taught. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of my favorite lessons or when those adults come in and just want to improve, not, Mm -hmm. they're not there to just have fun, but they actually want to just improve. That's so wonderful. And it's what you said about being sort of tossed aside, I think is sadly true. For me, it kind of started at an early age because I, again, I've always loved classical dance. I've always valued it. I do it consistently um, many days a week to this day, but I always knew that my goal was not to join a classical company, but starting from a very early age, I was not allowed to progress in certain ways or move up in certain ways, unless I was going to on, be on the path to join a classical company. And I was going to be there, you know, seven days a week. Um, there was no wiggle room for, I love this. I want this to be a part of my profession, but in a slightly different way. And so I think a lot of people kind of don't end up having access to the training, um, that they need, even though they're going in a slightly different path. So I do wish that that's something that would maybe make an adjustment a little bit around. Oh, for sure. Yes. In general. Yeah. And it's like yeah. another analogy I use is, sorry, I'm sitting on the floor. It's more comfortable for me to sit on the floor. Um, <laughs> dancer problems. Um, another analogy I use is like when you play sports in school, mm-hmm. does every person who swims in school go on to the Olympics? No. Yeah. Does every high school football player go on to play in the NFL? No. But they work their hardest and they want to get better and they want to do their best. Doesn't mean they're going to do it professionally or want to do it professionally. Right. So with ballet, it's such a different thing. It's like, oh, well, she's never going to be an answer. So, you know, yeah. and they just get brushed aside and it's part of the toxic culture of the ballet yeah. world. And I would be like, well, I'm here like three, four days a week, but I also take singing classes and I'm also, I, I grew up in LA. So I was working professionally um, from a young age and I'm like, you know, I have a, a shoot or I have a show that I'm in, or I have an acting class too. And it doesn't mean I want to, you know, this to be any less. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, the interesting thing is on the flip side, I feel like sometimes there's a prejudice that exists in the theater world as well. I know when I got into um, college and whatnot, and we, everybody had to take dance. It was very much geared toward people that had never done a step touch in their life. And I got kind of a lot of flack for looking too much like a dancer. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, not to say that I want to show up looking like a ballerina to every dance audition or audition I do, like, certainly not. I want to, you know, have access to different modes of physical expression, but if anybody was a serious dancer, it was strongly criticized that that wasn't a good thing. And it wasn't like a tool that you could use. And I don't know, I just sort of wish we could all join together and, and learn and pursue at the rate and pace that you want to, for what you're doing. So I guess, speaking of training, um, for you, what were some of your breakthrough moments that you had when you were training and how do, how did those come about for you? And how do you try to give those to your students now, which is hard because everybody's different. It's totally different. And I, th- I think teaching has made me a better dancer because mm-hmm. I've had to learn how to explain the one same one correction, 14 different ways. Yeah. And until somebody clicks it. And so for me in my own head, I'm like, oh, I should listen to that advice. That's interesting, you know, and so for me, it's common sense, really. That's my basic way of teaching that I think, again, the ballet world gets very like, we have to be like this. I'm like, if you're falling this way, go this way. And it'll be great. (laughs) So I think part of the just sort of breaking down ballet a little bit in terms of more common sense practices in ter- instead of like the Balanchine method or the Vaganova method, you know, the, the whole point of ballet is technique is technique. All those different things are styles. Mm-hmm. They're not techniques. Yeah. To be honest with you. Um, an arabesque is still an arabesque. A tondu is still a tondu. A pirouette is still a pirouette. Now the way you take off and the way you take and the way you land, that's the style, but it's all one technique. So for me, once I had that, and it was like, oh, all I have to do is change a couple of things, but still a pirouette, if you're off, doesn't matter what style you're doing, you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. 
So it's really taking that away and, and teaching them alignment. I'm huge on alignment. I'm huge on, you know, staying over your supporting side. If you're pulling off your supporting side, it doesn't work. These little tiny fixes that hopefully help people. Mm -hmm. um, and that has nothing to do with Balanchine, Vaganova, classical, whatever. Um, and that's helped me in my own dancing. Growing up for me, it was, the, I struggled the most with articulating my feet and my turnout. And it was like little things like a teacher telling me, rotate from the back of your leg or use your inner thigh or just those little muscles that when you're younger, especially I see it with the younger ones, you say, wrap the inner thigh, da, 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 they don't understand what you're talking about. Once I found those muscles, it was like, oh, I get it but it takes a while to find it. So that's how I try and structure is saying different things. Instead of just saying, pull up, mm -hmm. I'll say, think about getting three inches taller. If you could be three inches taller, what would you do? And they all go like this. <laughs> I'm like, there you go. <laughs> you know, don't worry about ribs in and da, da, da. just be taller and it works. So I try and get rid of that complicatedness around mm -hmm. ballet and simplify it. That's wonderful. And speaking of all the different techniques and styles, I'm curious what your thoughts are that now with this new online access to teachers around the world, mm -hmm. um, how do you think this is going to change style and technique with future generations? Because, you know, it used to be that, you know, if you went to SAB, you learned the Balanchine style and then that's what you did. And now, you know, you can be virtually taking from you and you can be learning from the Royal Ballet and you can be taking from Maria Horova and doing the Vaganova style. And do you think that it's going to change it all with maybe blending the techniques or styles a bit, or um, how do you, how do you think that might look moving forward? I think it's going to help because we're already realizing with these young dancers who are trying to get jobs, mm -hmm. you can't just be a classical dancer anymore. You can't mm -hmm. just be a Balanchine. Like even at City Ballet, we did Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. We did, you know, um, Royal Ballet is doing Balanchine. Royal Ballet is doing, you know, Wayne McGregor. And I don't know if they do Forsyth, but they do like different styles now. You can't like you're not just going to go do Swan Lake at the Royal Ballet anymore. And it's just the same with many, many companies. Um, and so it's only going to help the more diversified you are as a dancer, the better, um, to be able to snap into the different styles, because when a Balanchine repetitor comes to set a Balanchine ballet, they're going to want to see the style. You can't do Balanchine ballets looking like, you know, mm -hmm. you can't, they're going to, it's not going to work. Trust me, it's not going to work. So you've got to be able to like switch it. And the more it's sort of like, um, being a triple threat in the Broadway world. The yeah. more diverse you are, the more employable and the more useful you are. And so I think it's just going to help, to be honest. Do you think at any point there might become a blurring of styles to some degree, um, unless you're like specifically doing a Balanchine ballet or a Macmillan ballet or whatnot, that um, it might start to blend a little bit in things where it's not as specific? I think for sure. I think everybody has their stylistic tendencies. Like when I do classical variations on YouTube, people are like, oh, we still see your Balanchine port bra your Balanchine musicality, because that's how I was trained. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it is going to bleed a little bit. I think it just, the most important thing for dancers is to find what looks best on them mm -hmm. and bring it to everything. Yeah. Um, because I even had people telling me at City Ballet, I would do Balanchine Ballets different than most people, because in New York City Ballet, I was actually the classical girl because mm -hmm. I was the least Balanchine stylistically there. Yeah. Um, and they really liked it. They're like, oh, we've never seen it was Dewdrop. I remember Benjamin Millipier standing in the wings and saying, oh, I've never seen anybody do Dewdrop like that. And I'm going, I, I don't know what I did differently, but okay, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I wasn't a little sprite, I was more lyrical and classical. So I think it just helps if you really, regardless of style, find who you are mm -hmm. and own who you are kind of like in life, yeah. um, the better it is. I love your emphasis on finding what makes you unique. Um, it's something that I really value and I don't hear it talked about a whole lot. Um, and I actually, I just finished reading that, um, new book, ABT plus, um, where they talk about when Gelsey Kirkland started training with David Howard and she would say, I want, I want to look like this dancer. And he'd be like, well, you have short arms, so you're not going to look like them. It's like, well, no, I have to No, We're going to figure out what looks best for you. And I love that. That's something that you really emphasize with your students and your training. Cause yeah. I feel like it, especially in the dance world where your career peaks so young when you're still at that stage of wanting to impress people or wanting to look like your heroes. 
Um, I really love that this emphasis is now changing a bit into finding what makes you special and unique. Um, oh, totally. And I went through that same thing as a young dancer. I oh, wanted yeah. to be Wendy Whalen. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be whomever. And people were like, you look nothing like Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> you, and Ashley Batter was the other one. I, like Ashley Batter is this like short, she can like out jump the guys. Like she's just ridiculous. And people were like, you realize that you're never going to look like that. <laughs> like, so once I realized, why am I trying to be her? Let me be me. Mm -hmm. Let me be the best version of me that's when I started to really have success. Instead of trying to mimic, I see a lot of dancers trying to mimic mm -hmm. um, and it never works. You have to do what looks the best and feels the best on you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I started to own my classicalness at City Ballet and it served me very well. Mm -hmm. How do you think that your training and career might've been different if you'd had the access, if you'd had access to the kind of online um, resources that exist today? Like if there had been a Catherine Morgan online when you were growing up, do you think it would have changed your training or your career or anything at all? I don't know. First of all, I would have been obsessed because yeah. I, every, you know, I've, and I said this on YouTube, like when I was younger, all we had was like dance magazine, point magazine, dance Bird. That was it. Mm -hmm. And I would like over and over and over any little thing I could get. So mm -hmm. I would have been that kid that was like on YouTube 24 seven, but that's sort of how I started and, and geared my channel to start was, okay. If I was little Catherine Morgan at age, whatever, what would I want to know? Mm -hmm. What did I want to know? What would have inspired me? And that's really where it started from. It's evolved since. But yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time. When I'm ever stuck for a video, mm -hmm. I go back to that. Like, what am I going to do now? Well, what would you have wanted to learn if there was a Catherine Morgan and you were 13, 14, 15, 16? Yeah. Um, and that's, it gives me content, honestly. Yeah. What, what do you think would have been different for you if you had had that? I think, you know, it's, it's also a catch-22 because part of today's day and age is social media mm -hmm. and the Instagram and the YouTube. I actually think I would have had a harder time. That's, that's valid. That's very, very true. because these kids, I see them, they're on Instagram, like, Oh, so-and-so just posted a picture. And I don't look at that. I have to look at that. Let me crank my leg. And, you know, and they just, they're in this constant state of comparing and, and I've got to look like that and pressure and, I'm like, do you realize, does any of us ever post anything that makes us look bad on Instagram? No, we don't want to post our like, you know, picture. We don't. So it's, you know, I try and say, look, what you see on Instagram is not necessarily real life or a photo does not mean that's how they dance. Mm -hmm. Yes. Her leg is way up here. Did she whack it or did she actually double pay and hold it? There? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think I would have been knowing my personality when I was younger, I did not have a strong mm. constitution. I was the like at auditions. I was the one in the corner, like, please like me. So I think I would have struggled big time because I would have just been so wrapped up. So I actually am glad we didn't have all this when I was younger. Yeah. Very valid. And me as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well um, what do you think is the biggest thing missing from dance training in general? The mental side. Mm -hmm. The mental side. I think, again, we so worry about what it looks like and teachers have no concept of, especially with teenagers, mm -hmm. their mental part of things, their mental health. Um, you have to be, I try and be very mindful. My fiance does as well because he's on faculty at Valley West Academy. He tries to be very mindful. Of, okay, she's 16. How do I address this the right way? Yeah. How do I not send her down the spiral hole of, you know, and into her own brain? So it's just being aware, you know, and, and a lot of the old way of thinking was, well, I shouldn't have to worry about how I say something. Well, you do now. You have to worry about how you say it. You have to be very mindful of these are young kids. They are growing. They are developing. Um, you can't run them into the ground. They are not professionals. Mm -hmm. yet. Do you know what I mean? And even with professionals, you have to be very, you need to be careful. We all need to be more mindful, but with training, you know, a lot of dance teachers forget that those students not only are not professionals, but they are paying you. Mm -hmm. They are not your employees. They are paying you. They are paying to be there. 
So we have to be so mindful of how we treat them and what we say, because it, they're, they are important as the person and not just the dancer. Yeah. Um, so what if their pirouette is not perfect? How are you damaging them mentally? Mm-hmm. How are you, you know, lifting them up mentally? How are you going about them as a whole person and not just as the pirouette? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that there's been a lot of conversations about in the Broadway community. I mean, it's notorious that the vast majority of um, theater training programs will call in um, the seniors on their first day of their senior year and say like flat out. So boys, you need to gain 30 pounds of muscles, muscle and girls. I don't care what weight you are. You need to lose 30 pounds by the end of the year. Like, And just, it just keeps going on and on and the things that get said in auditions and whatnot. And it's, it's definitely a struggle. I think in any part of the entertainment industry, it's especially a struggle in the, in the dance industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're such a beautiful, positive voice for that needing to change. Have you seen any real applicable shift in the way not just in terms of people's views, but the way that maybe companies are starting to be run or the mm-hmm. things that the answers are demanding as a result of these conversations? It's going to be a slow process. The ballet world has not changed as much as people have been led it to believe. Right. I think the pandemic actually helped that a little bit mm-hmm. because people are starting to realize, dancers especially, are starting to realize their priorities. Dancers are starting to realize, huh, I don't have to be miserable. Like we have, we all took a step away and a lot of dancers retired because they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So I think companies have had to reevaluate. I think companies are having to go, okay, hold on. Let's, you know, I think it's going to be a generational shift. I think once my generation takes over, then it will finally be the complete change. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I, I've seen little things here and there. I think the first step is having the conversation, which is what we are doing. We are talking about it. We are bringing light to it. Some of us are going, Hey, this hasn't changed, you know? Um, and I felt like I could be one of those people to speak out because I am not in a position where my job depends on it. Mm -hmm. So many dancers can't speak out because they are worried and rightly so about being fired. Yeah. So it's one of those things that no one's ever said anything because we just don't because I'll be fired. So I'm going to suffer in silence and that doesn't work anymore. And I think those of us that are speaking out who can should, Mm -hmm. and we are starting the conversation, which I think is the first step. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's just so fascinating to, I'm, I love um, theater and dance history. And when, you know, when you look back at films and photos from generations ago, they don't have the same kind of bodies that most people have today. And they were considered absolutely elite and at the top of their game. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's such a cultural thing just in the, in the, in the world at large that I, I hope that there's some positive changes that start happening on the ground up and where I don't, if you were running a company, which you, I mean, you sort of are, I mean, you have Catherine Morgan <laughs> friends, which is awesome. Yeah, it's, sure. it's a slightly non-traditional company, but still an awesome company. But if you, if you were the artistic director, how yeah. would you balance um, a general certain need for an aesthetic that is debatable, but exists in some form with, you know, wanting everybody to be healthy and have wonderful different body types included. And what would your paradigm for that be if you were the one in charge? And that's a very tricky question. I think for me, I always felt my best and was in my best shape when I felt good about myself mm-hmm. and was dancing a lot. Part of the problems with ballet companies is you are taken out of roles, which I, I have been many times until you're thin enough, right? but then you're not dancing. Yeah. And it is impossible to get in dancing shape unless you're dancing. Right. So it's just like I'm, you're on the hamster wheel. So yeah. I would probably not, if I was a director, I might not address it at all mm-hmm. at the start and just keep people dancing and just talk about technique and just talk about them as humans and just talk about their mental health and not even worry about it at the start. And get them dancing, get them in the studio, get them feeling good about themselves and see what happens. Yeah, that's great. That sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. I like that. Now, again, it's easier said than done. Right. Um, and then if someone did have an issue, 
I would address it first of how are you doing? Talk to me. How are you feeling? I wouldn't even address it as a weight issue because 99% of the time, it's not an actual food issue. Right. It's a food issue because of something else. It's a stress issue. It's an unhappy issue. It has nothing to do with the food itself. Yeah. So I would address that first. I do find it shocking how much I consistently do not hear anybody ever asking, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in any capacity mm-hmm. in the arts. Nope. No, and I heard somebody said this, I can't remember who it was. Somebody said, you know, one of the hard parts about being in the ballet world is it is an art, mm-hmm. but unlike something like painting where it's paint on a canvas or when you're doing music, the musical notes on the page, the musical notes and the paints are people. Right. And so you can't treat them like objects because they're not, they are human beings. And I was just like, <laughs> I can't yeah. take care of that. I can't remember who said that to me yeah. when or where, but I just thought that's, that's what it is. Yeah. We're not the paint sitting there in the jar. And if you don't like the work, eh, toss it, it's fine. No one's right. feelings get hurt. You can't do that with dancers. Yeah. And you can't do that with Broadway actors either because you yeah. all are the actual art happening, but you're human beings. Yeah. And things like, I remember it took me a shockingly long time to realize that some things that I couldn't do were because of the way my body was built. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's why with, you know, the Vaganova Academy, they do like these crazy measurements of all the students when they're accepted. And, you know, if your body's not built a certain way, your leg is not going to like be double jointed, like Mm -hmm. floating around the back of your head or whatnot. But I think those are things that make us unique and special and help us find wonderful niches that advance the art form. So I love that. Um, Can you talk a bit for the theater people out there that may not be dancers? What, this is a horrible question, but what, what do you love so much about dance? What can you, why dance and not another medium? What do you feel when you're dancing and that you can express as a dancer that you can't any other way? I think a couple of things. One of the reasons I started dancing when I was little, it was the music. Mm-hmm. My mom said that she would, in order to, when I was like still in the crib and in the carrier, she was like, in order to take a shower, all I had to do was put on music and you were occupied. So mm-hmm. me putting on music, like, let me take a shower and wash my hair <laughs> when you were a baby. Yeah. And she said, even after that, you just wanted to, you loved music, particularly classical so much that you would want to become the music. Mm-hmm. And the only way you knew how was by dancing, which is it. Like, you know, she said, you were like, you know, when yeah. you're two. And so for me, it's still that. For mm-hmm. uh, my favorite ballets are the ones that are my favorite scores. Mm-hmm. If it's a score I don't like, I can't get behind it. I don't feel as drawn to it. So for me, it's the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also very shy as a child. And ballet was sort of my way of expressing myself without getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be very open and and whatever on stage without offending anyone, you know, by saying anything or aggressively doing. So it was my way of expressing myself too. Um, And it still is, it still is um, my way of expression and just music and becoming the music. Now I know that you do play piano, but why do you think that that love of music and becoming the music translated for you into dance, as opposed to wanting to become a classical musician? I think it was the movement. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't want to sit. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it was, it was moving. It was, yeah, the actual activity part of it, the, the, the body move, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just fingers or sitting or, or pl- this way I needed to like move. Yeah. So, and has that changed at all in any way for you over the years as you've matured as a dancer? Not really. I mean, my, my best roles were always the acting ones like Juliet or, or something with a story. Um, it's again, still my way of expressing myself. Like black Swan is oh, so much fun. Yeah. And so I'm like, (laughs) you know, you get to be the bad girl without anybody getting hurt. It's great. Um, and so it's just, it's, yeah, it's still the same even now that I'm 33. So I have been somebody that works in a lot of mediums and is also a writer and a creator. I've recently been finding it so fascinating that there are so many ballets that have never been interpreted into another medium. Like there's no play of Giselle or musical of Giselle or Swan. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue the movie Black Swan a little bit, but that's not a straight adaptation, but 
these stories that really, I'm sure you could, but primarily are only told through dance because mm-hmm. there's certain things that you can tell that way that you can't in any other way, which I, I just find so, I find so fascinating. These amazing stories that have never been translated into any other mediums. It's so. true. And I actually had a Broadway friend explain it to me once. He was like, you know, in a, in a show when words aren't enough, people sing. Yeah. And when singing's not enough, people dance. And so it's like, how do you pull it back? Yeah. How do you, how do you tell Giselle through talking? Like yeah. it, it would be very difficult. You'd have to really, I don't know. I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. And that's why I wish that more theater people would get into dance because I feel like it's an entire other vocabulary of expression mm-hmm. that just frees you up and is so exciting. I remember when I was little, like really little, I didn't understand that musical theater was a career that you could have as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew about like Annie, but I thought that when I got to be older, I was going to have to decide if I was going to be a classical dancer, like a Shakespearean actor or like a classical vocalist. And those Mm -hmm. were my choices. Um, at five, I decided I was going to invent musical theater for adults because I didn't want to have to choose. Um, but one of the things that frustrated me about the idea of solely being a straight actor was how completely separated from physicality most of the plays that I went to see were. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I did love Shakespeare and those things. They were very physical, but so many plays are people sitting around a table talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and my work that I create is very physical. And I wish that that could be incorporated more as a vocabulary because I think it's very vital and important. Um, and speaking of acting, did you have any acting training as part of your training coming up? Cause you're a beautiful actress and I wish that acting was more incorporated into dance training. Thank you. No, I didn't No, I mean, and, and part of it, um, is that that's how I was trained to act like with ballet, you cannot speak. So yeah. you figure out real fast <laughs> how to tell it through your eyes, how to tell it through looks or, you know, whatever it is, if you cannot speak, Mm-hmm. You have to have it read somehow. Yeah. And so it's just, I guess the acting was part of the rehearsal process for us and, and how to say something with your eyes, how to say something with a look or with a gesture because you have no dialogue. Yeah. So how, the steps are our dialogue. How for you do you balance the storytelling part of a role with the technical requirements? Because it's something I find challenging in every role that I do, whatever the medium, but you know, there's sometimes when you just want to be lost in the acting and then there's very technically difficult things that you have coming up. So how for you, do you balance that and wanting to hit both as strongly as you can while not being in your head? Luckily, something like Juliet is more about the acting. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be as technical as you want it to be, but that's not what the audience remembers quite frankly. So for me with Juliet, I forgot about the technique. I would I would really be aware of it in rehearsal so that it became muscle memory. We dancers rely a lot on muscle memory so that when you get on stage, you can totally forget about the technique and just be in the story. Because I remember shows where I was not in the story and where I was worried about the technique did not go well, (laughs) (laughs) like at all. And it was the ones that I was completely like, whoa, did that, what just happened? That that was the best show I had. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember actually Robbie Fairchild, who is, Broadway, American in Paris, big yeah. star. He and I got thrown on together for Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. We were not originally partners, but mine got hurt. So three hours before the, the show, we we yeah. were like, all right, you guys are on. Good luck. Was and Robbie were- the one who dropped you down the stairs or was that someone else? No, that was Seth. <laughs> <laughs> go, listen to, go listen to Katie's podcast. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Oh, that's funny. Uh, it was fine. All was well. I was supposed to be dead at that point. So no one knew. Um, so anyway, but Robbie and I got thrown on three hours ahead. And no, there was no ballet master available, no coach available to rehearse us. So they were like, go to studio and figure it out. So we were like, okay. So we intentionally decided that we were not going to rehearse the acting. Mm-hmm. We were like, let's go through the technique, mechanics, this lift. Okay. There were like three different versions of the balcony product. All right. Which one do you do? All right. right. Step or this step. Okay. And then we intentionally did not touch the acting and left it totally spontaneous. Best show I've had. Best show I've ever had. Yeah. And people were like packed in the way. And it was just sort of this magical thing because we were just so in it. We got, we did the technical and then forgot about it and yeah. just was in the story. So, yeah. Do you find that any of that is missing from 
the training that you see your students get? Because I find that dancers are able to do the most incredible things that like you never would have even dreamed of like 50 years ago. There's, I know you really care very deeply about artistry, but I feel like there's an artistry that sometimes goes missing with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I see it in young students all the time. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. And just how you would um, suggest taking steps to rectify that in general. I think people forget that 90% of the audience doesn't know whether you do five pirouettes or two pirouettes. Mm -hmm. Like they have no, like take my parents, for example, they don't know, like they have no idea, but they do know if they go to any ballet and some dancer is not in it. If some dancer is, is just like this, but technical, um, they want to be moved by the story. The audience wants to be moved. And so I think there's such a focus now because dancers are required to do more and more and more and more and more tricks than ever before that the artistry does get lost. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of this, like, let's pack as many things as we can get in. And you know what, if the artistry's not there, it's fine. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of seeing it in things like figure skating too. Yeah. How many quads can we do? Mm-hmm. How many, you know, and it's like, yeah, there is a, there is an element of the artistry that gets forgotten about. Some teachers are good about bringing it back, but I know like when I judge ballet competitions, if a, a girl comes out and does the black swan variation and like turns a million times, but does it like with no expression, I'm like, all right, next. Like, right. I don't care. I don't care how many pirouettes you can do if you don't become Odile. Yeah. Like become the character. Then I'm not even concerned. She did three, five. I don't know how many she did. You know what I mean? Like it completely yeah. changes. So I think there is a lack of yeah. that because ballets are getting so much harder. It's mm-hmm. not just Swan Lake anymore. Right. There are all these new choreographers emerging and they're throwing stuff at dancers and it's harder than ever before, but there still needs to be that artistry element. Yeah. Do you think competitions have negatively impacted that at all? Because you're, you're a judge who clearly values artistry very much, but it's like you said, you know, dance isn't, it's not all as subjective as some other things, but it's putting it into a subjective state Mm-hmm. of, you know, you can't always judge who acted a moment better, but you can mm-hmm. theoretically judge who did more pirouettes, which yeah. I think can be problematic sometimes. Yeah. Well, what the, the students don't know is the judges, we all go back to the judging room and we're just like, where's the artist? <laughs> like, we're all like, what the heck? Yeah. And so it ends up being who did it better technically. Yeah. Where if somebody came out and blew the artistry out of the water, that'd be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us too, it's not just about how many pirouettes you do, but how you do them. Yeah. Did you cheat your way going into it? Did you do a big jump and turn your feet in before you did it? It's the articulation, the articulation and your transitions are part mm-hmm. of the artistry. Yeah. It's not just step, step, whack. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. how do you place your feet before the big kick? Not just, mm-hmm. you know, so that's part of it as well is the finesse. Yeah. And again, that's another reason I'm so excited that people have access to your platform, because I think in all the arts, I think it was Judy Dench wrote a really great article about this, that it can be elitist in the sense that you have to have money in order to train mm-hmm. and get private coaching and get the costumes and get the plane flights to the places. And um, we can just log on often for us for free and get mm-hmm. that wonderful training from you. And I hope that that will break down some of those things. Yeah. In the future. Um, my favorite question to ask is what's a question that you've always wanted to be asked in an interview, but never have been. Oh, um, I don't know. You're pretty good at this. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> I'd have to think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you know, you get the usual, like, what would you tell your younger self? What would you, you know, I don't know. I think I would love somebody to ask me a question that stumps me. I would love somebody to ask me a question like, what do you not want to hear anymore? Or what do you, what do you get tired of being asked? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a really good one. I don't know if I have an answer. What do you get tired of being asked? Probably, you know, when I have a channel of 400 plus videos and somebody says, do you have any tips on being a professional dancer? (laughs) And I'm like, oh no. "Um, Well, and that right there, part of that problem is that they want you to do the work for them. 
Right. And that's something I say on YouTube all the time. I can sit here and give you 400 plus videos of content. You're the one that has to apply them. Yeah. I can sit here until I'm blue in the face and give you content, but unless you apply it, that's on you, you know? So yeah. that one's all, that's always funny to me is when yeah. somebody like, do you have any tips to be a professional? <laughs> yeah. Yep. 400 videos worth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I, other than that, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I, I also, I, again, I love how much information and content you have, and I love how much cross training there is. Mm-hmm. Um, wonder, one of the wonderful things I take advantage of is I remember my mindset as a young dancer was, you know, you show up for class and then whatever the teacher does, that's what you need to do that day and you, whatnot. And becoming a professional being like, Oh, today, I really just need to sort of stretch. And so I'll put on like one of your stretch videos and it's great. And one day I might be like, I need to cross train. I'm going to do some Pilates and being able to customize it really for what your own body needs and being aware of your body. And, um, I think that's just great and wonderful. Um, one other random question I had, I know you talked about loving classical music so much. Why do you think you were so drawn to classical music from a young age, as opposed to other types of music? No, I think for me, I always love when there are no lyrics because then you can kind of interpret it for yourself. Maybe mm-hmm. that's part of it. Um, I don't know something about the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, different phrasing and different uh, instruments. I don't know what it was specifically, but I think it was just yeah. the sheer beauty of it and the thought behind it and the you can interpret it how you want to, instead of here are the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. And I've always, I've always loved Broadway too, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I really have. I Phantom think you did wonderfully on Broadway, saw. side yeah. note. Yeah. yeah. I saw Phantom before I ever saw New York City Ballet. Like that mm-hmm. was the first thing I saw. Yeah. So. You'd but it has ballet in it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm tall, I'm five nine. So I had to like make my peace with the fact that I was probably never going to play Christine because there's a height cut off at five seven to be any of really? the girls. Oh. Yeah. Cause the height trans height translates to age on stage, which can be a thing. Um, hmm. I did get called in for Christine and I, I knew I wasn't going to get it because of my height. And I was just like living for it. And I got to go and be like, I can do actual point work. Yeah. I brought, I brought my gainers. Like, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can do it. Um, but you'd be, you'd be wonderful on Broadway. Well, um, I'd love to have you. Sarah Esty right now, who is former Miami is Meg now, right now on Broadway. And nice. So, yeah. She's, she's we know each other sort of through the business but yeah it'd be fun I'm you know what I'm always impressed with you guys Broadway people yeah because you do the same show every day like during Nutcracker six week run we were all like I'm done yeah I'm done and people on Broadway are like I've been in this show for four years Mm -hmm. yeah Oh, and it gets really good. tricky, like in Wicked, the stage is on a rake and um, there are people That's in some right. shoes and some people in heels. And there's some of the lifts that happen in the Ozdus ballroom where the guys are like lifting the girls in a semicircle upstage to, and, and some of the injuries and PT that mm. has to be done. Yeah. Eight shows a week. I remember when I first figured out that classical dancers didn't do eight shows a week. And I was like, what, <laughs> what <laughs> we, <coughs> sorry. We did during Nutcracker, but that was it. And yeah. we were all like on the floor. And I remember actually a lot of my former colleagues were in Carousel mm-hmm. and they did eight shows a week. I remember Brittany Pollock, who's now back at City Ballet. Mm-hmm. She was like, girl, I'm lopsided. <laughs> yeah. She's like, everything's on one side and we only ever do one side and I have to do this eight yeah. times a week. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, and then if you're singing too, because yeah. the way you use your muscles for singing is diametrically opposite to the way that you use them as a dancer. So yeah. that's always super fun too. Yeah. But here's, I guess one last question is maybe sort of random, but you've given so much to me and to the, just the world at large. I was going to say the, the dance and theater communities, but it's to people who aren't in those communities too. What are some things that we can do for you and to support you um, and give back to you? Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Um, I don't know. You can, you mean me specifically or like the dance world? Well, I guess to start with you specifically. Um, Just, you know, you can follow. I'd love for you anybody to follow me on YouTube or Instagram. That would be wonderful. Um, I try and keep it very 
joyful and very real on my channels. Um, there is a lot of me dancing on there. Um, well, which is I'm, wonderful because we all very much enjoy oh, seeing you dance. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but really it's just, I love when Broadway people and ballet people support each other, which is why when that crossover happened a few years ago with On the Town and American Paris and Carousel, mm -hmm. it was so exciting. Um, and there was that sort of marrying of the two. Mm -hmm. um, I would love, the problem is most of the time in New York, the schedule is the same. Yeah. So like you can't, if you're on, you can't go see Broadway or vice versa. Right. Um, but just being more supportive of each other, I would love there to be more ballet on Broadway. Um, I, I also remember doing, I was not, <laughs> us having to audition for West Side Story Speed because we do the sweet version mm -hmm. of Robin's West Side Story at New York City Ballet. It's like a 20 minute condensed version but there is singing mm -hmm. so anita sings riff sings and i think rose rose Rosalind. Rosalind. yeah she yeah. sings and we all had to audition and it was the most traumatizing experience mm -hmm. of most of our lives <laughs> like just crying coming out of the room because most that's not what we're trained to do we don't we are not trained to open our mouths on stage yeah. i ended up doing maria because she was the one principal that didn't sing and, but it was just so much fun to not have to be perfect. Yeah. I would love more of that kind of ballets as well as more ballet on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, just more marrying of the two. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to take up singing, I know some lovely people to connect to. <laughs> okay. Good to know. I yeah. did a little musical a while ago. It was, mm -hmm. it was like off, off, off Broadway. Mm -hmm. And it was tough. I had to sing a lot and it was tough for me. It was like concrete, my greatest fear. Um, but it was a ballet, it was a ballet musical and I had the best time. It was so much fun. Awesome. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to do another Broadway show with ballet in it, call me. Oh, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> down. I wish, I wish that dance would be more, more integrated into it. I mean, it's, you know, musical theater is famous for being, you know, integrated dance music and, and acting, but I feel like it's kind of diverged even more in recent years. I love what Jagged Little Pill is doing with their choreography. It's very contemporary and actively telling the story, but um, I don't know, you kind of get um, golden age shows where there's a lot of wonderful tapping. You get some shows like Phantom that have some classical dance, and then you get a couple like Jagged Little Pill, and then you get some where there's just not a lot of dancing at all. And mm -hmm. I wish that we could all work together because I think they're all wonderful, equal vocabularies that we should be able to, to utilize and not be afraid of. And thank you so much for giving us an active way that we can continue doing that or start learning about it or continue developing ourselves. Um, I know your work has meant so much to me. I do your classes like on a weekly basis. So oh, thank you. Yeah, no, seriously. And I bring them backstage to the theaters. I'm like, come on, everybody. Let's do Catherine Morgan's class to warm up. Oh, well, and it's so hard to motivate yourself to give yourself class. That's another reason I do it is for those people who literally are in the theater and don't have a class before the show. Yeah, like, there it is for do it. You know, yeah. that's what it's there for. And I learned so many wonderful cross training things from you, like stretches okay. and Pilates things that like I had never, and I was shocked that I'd never seen them before, but I'm like, these are so great and so valuable. So, um, yeah. And you can do it in the safety of your living room where nobody's seen you. And it's just so oh, wonderful. Just be careful I mean, of the floor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Careful of the floor. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we all dance and we all move when we're children and that kind of, I feel like gets taken away from us and I feel like we should all embrace yeah. it some more and another one i just did recently it just popped into my head was um we balancing slaughter on 10th avenue it's yeah. the excerpt from on your toes mm -hmm. i had more fun putting heels on i was so happy not to put point shoes on i was like oh this is a heel back <laughs> so great and it was so much fun because again anytime those those pieces pop into the rep it's not about perfection mm -hmm. and that's what makes it so fun so i feel like if we could marry the two more often it would be great yeah um, yeah, no, well, thank you so much again for joining me. Where can we follow you? What are your social media handles? What's your YouTube channel? How can we all follow you? I have YouTube. All you do is type my name, Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N Morgan. It comes right up. Um, Instagram is Catherine underscore Morgan. 
Um, and then my website is, I have two of them, katherinemorganonline.com. That's getting an overhaul soon, by the way. So that'll be updated. Nice. And then just kmandfriends.com. That's where I have online classes and private coaching and any sort of, that's my new venture as part of what I do is kmandfriends.com. And you have a wonderful, the Catherine Morgan Hall, where mm-hmm. we can get dancewear. You have a necklace that's out now. Yes. Uh, and we can all come see you soon in the Nutcracker because you'll be guesting, yeah. right? If you are in Texas, Alabama, or Kansas, <laughs> I'll be uh, this weekend. Actually, I leave on Thursday, um, Texas A&M with Ballet Brazos, um, one Friday to Saturday. I'll be in Mobile, Alabama next weekend on the 11th and 12th. And I'll be in Topeka, Kansas on the 18th and 19th. Man, so, you have sugar bass rehearsals with many different companies. <laughs> All different, three different partners too, by the way. Oh my so goodness. So that's a bit stressful because the heights are different. You're yeah. just like, okay, here we are go. Are you doing the same choreo for each mm-hmm. one? Oh, yes. That was sort of my sticking point. I was like, I've got to do the same version. Even if it's three different people, same version. Oh, I just took class um, with a friend who's doing Cavalier at like three different companies and he's doing different choreography at every single oh, one of those companies. Like <laughs> it's so hard to do because it's just, it's just a different pace. It's a different mindset. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being you and for being an incredible inspiration thank and you. for just the enormous gift that you've given me and everybody at large. Um, you you really have kind of changed the face of dance and the face of dance training and the community. And I'm very grateful to get to virtually see you in person and, um, and thank you for that. And I hope many, many more people come to benefit from it as well. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I am, I'm trying to, my whole new tagline now is just bringing the joy back to ballet Mm -hmm. because so many of us start ballet because we love it. And by the end we hate it because of the culture, the toxic place, the things that are said to us. And so I'm trying to bring that back. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing a great job thank you. and thank you for continuing to do that. And we are here to support you as well. So I know you've had many challenges that you've overcome with wonderful grace, and we are here to support you with anything that comes in the future, both good and bad. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Of course.